Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to the Spotlight. We are your hosts, Ambassador Retired Harry Thomas. And I'm Alice the Chief. Uh, Harry, who do we have today? We have the indomitable Lindsay Cross, who is difficult to describe because she is an outdoor enthusiast, an environmentalist, a yoga instructor, someone who went to school in the Midwest and has chose to make uh, St. Peter home, as well as a politician. Oh, wow. So, we hope that she'll be able to tell our listeners around the global community about herself. Well, Lindsay, thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. What a fun introduction. Good to be with you both, Harry and Alex. Well, uh, Lindsay, can you please tell us about yourself? Well, all of those things that, that Harry just said, I'm an outdoor enthusiast. I'm a yoga instructor. I'm... Um, a budding politician. I'm a St. Petersburger. Um, I love the life that I have here in Florida. I grew up in the Midwest in the suburban Detroit area. But like all good Midwesterners, we eventually make our way down to Florida. I just did it a few decades earlier than, than most people do. So I've been living in the Tampa Bay area for 20 years now. And it's my chosen home, and I love being here. Oh, wow. You're a yoga instructor. Were you always into athletics? So I came from a really athletic family. My dad was a marathon runner before Oprah did it and before it was cool. Um, <laughs> my mom's also active, but my dad ran several times a week. He was a competitive um, marathon runner, ran the Boston Marathon several times. So we were always outside riding bikes, playing tennis. I played poorly, but the rest of the family was pretty good. Um, so I grew up doing athletics. Um, I started gymnastics at a young age and throughout middle school and high school, participated in multiple sports, did gymnastics, uh, springboard diving and track when I was in high school, I was also exposed to downhill skiing, which became one of my favorite things to do. Oh, wow. And is actually one of the reasons why I chose the college that I did because I wanted more access to bigger mountains <laughs> and real snow, not manufactured snow from a snow machine like we have in the Detroit area. So, yes, athletics and sports were always a big part of my life. So, wow. So you do yoga. So did that help you start your day and finish it? So I've been practicing yoga for about 15 years. My first class that I took was part of a grant through the local community where there was an instructor that came in and gave free classes to people in the community. And there was something about it that just felt so natural to me, I think because of my gymnastics background. Um, I loved it. I loved the, the movement to it, but I also loved the incorporation of the breath. 
And for some people, there's a spiritual component to it as well. Um, so I began practicing yoga and then about 10 years ago started teaching yoga. Um, I've received my 200 hour certification. I've actually gone over and practiced in India for several weeks. So yoga is a big part of my life. I teach several days a week and practice. I have my own practice that I maintain. So my day is better when I start it with yoga or meditation, um, some type of movement practice like that, and where I'm able to start my day with some good intentions rather than getting right onto social media and <laughs> and all of the the news platforms that seem to be how a lot of us, you know, wake up with our phone next to us. Wait a second. You were talking about Alex and me. You can tell from our builds <laughs> that we do outdoor sports and we don't start with our phone or watching ESPN. <laughs> and that's not us. Uh, but uh, since you are mimicking Alex and me, tell us about your favorite outdoor sports other than cl we clearly know it's not tennis. Yeah, it's, it's not tennis. Um, I have pretty poor hand-eye coordination, so I stay, stay away from the country club sports. Um, I love downhill skiing. I love trail running. Of course, you'd say, so why do you live in Florida? Because you don't have a lot of either of those there. Um, I love paddling. I do outrigger canoe paddling with a crew out of um, Sunset Beach in Pinellas County. So that's something that gets me connected with the natural environment and is a great workout as well. So those are the, some of the things that I love. Um, running will always be a part of my life. And especially now that I have a, um, a lab that I rescued at the beginning of the pandemic, he's a fantastic running partner. And we just like to go explore all of the different parks and preserves in Florida, whether we're hiking or backpacking or, or doing some running. Uh, we, I think we need to take an early break, Alex. I'm exhausted listening to her. <laughs> My God! <laughs> you know? Okay. I would need to meditate if I were hanging out with you just to relax. So, uh, Alex, I was going to say, can the doc keep up? <laughs> well, Tell our listener about your studies at the CSU. Yeah, so I went to Colorado State University. Both of my parents went to Michigan State University. I was actually born in Sparrow Hospital in Lansing, which is, you know, right off of the campus, practically. I think my parents had high hopes that either my brother or I would go to Michigan State and continue the legacy. And both of us went out of state. Oh, wow. Um, I, I went to Central at, Michigan. Oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Go we, we've got that in common. I wouldn't <laughs> say we're we're not really rivals the way Michigan State and you know the Wolverines are. We're Correct. you know good good state schools and we we support each other. So <laughs> that's great. Go ahead. No, I looked. Um, I've wanted to be involved with environmental science for, gee, since I was in middle school when I started learning about Earth Day and, you know, how people were involved in getting things like the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act passed. So I looked specifically at schools that had a good environmental program and also had skiing and hiking access and Colorado State fit everything that I was looking for. 
And when I got to the campus, I just knew that it was the right place for me because it just felt like home to me. Um, I also had an incredible mentor that I worked with, an advisor through my, my four and a half years there who really helped me to create a curriculum that um, allowed me to explore all of my different interests. Um, you can hear that there's a lot of things that I like to do, and I've always been someone who's hungry to know and learn and do more. So I was taking as many credit hours as I could. I was minoring in Spanish. Um, so I was able to do a semester in Costa Rica and a semester in Spain. Wow, so you know all about Pura Vida. Yeah, sí, claro. <laughs> Please, go ahead. Yeah. Now, Costa Rica is a magical place, and I was part of a really small program with 18 students. We were living with families, trekking into the rainforest every week to learn about tropical ecology, um, working with the local community on projects to clean up their rivers and make sure that their water quality was good. And so that was one of the most amazing experiences that I ever had. Um, being able to take some of those things that I learned and apply them as a professional has been really gratifying. Um, and so through my, my studies at, at Colorado State, really working with a fantastic mentor and advisor, um, I was able to, to create that program. Um, I also was exposed to a lot of things that I realized that I didn't like, which I think is just as important when you're you know, a student and a young professional. For example, I thought that I would probably go to law school because I had interest in environmental legislation. But after doing an internship with an environmental attorney, I realized that I didn't like the research that much and that there was probably other ways for me to find that connection between science and policy without having to be an attorney. Um, I also worked at an environmental toxicology lab where we were studying the impacts of pesticides and on cancer, on, on breast cancer, and fascinating, really important research. But I also learned that I didn't want to be a research scientist. <laughs> and so I got to, you know, find those things out in, you know, in my college and my undergraduate years so that when, you know, when I graduated, I was able to figure out the type of organizations that I wanted to work for and what I wanted to do in my graduate studies. Oh, wow. Well, que bueno su, su castellano, señorita. <laughs> es importante para politics, porque en St. Petersburg viven muchos latinos. All right. Sí. All right. Sí. So, dígame, uh, how did you tell us about, how did you tell us about your first campaign? Ahora inglés es difícil. So tell us about your first campaign. Yeah, so let, I'll, I'll back you up a little bit um, mm -hmm. because, as I mentioned, I, I learned that I did not want to be an attorney. Um, mm -hmm. 
I didn't see myself back when I was in high school or college necessarily being a politician, but through my years working at a program called the Tampa Bay Estuary Program, um, I spent 14 years there managing research and restoration projects to clean up the water quality in Tampa Bay and restore things like seagrasses, which are critical habitat and food for manatees and sea turtles. Um, I saw how important it was for scientists to be able to translate the results that they were getting for policymakers and elected officials, because we had pages and pages, you know, books upon books of data and research and results but if we couldn't get our policy board to you know, check off on the type of work that we were doing and use it to make better decisions in their local community, then that research really was worthless. Um, worthless is probably too, too strong of a term, but I've always thought that we needed to be applying the research that we were doing for better outcomes for our environment and our community. And so I started moving more towards um, application in, in the policy and advocacy realm and looking at how I could use my understanding of the, the environment and science to be an advocate for cleaning up our water and protecting our habitats. And I found that that was a place where, um, you know, it, it kind of drew on a lot of my experiences and my strengths. And that really is what has led me to the point that I am now where, where I'm running for office again. Um, back up 20, in 2018, I was serving as the executive director of a nonprofit called the Florida Wildlife Corridor, which is a, an effort to uh, protect uh, you know, a huge network of lands and waters throughout the state, but inspiring people in the local community, Floridians and people across the globe to advocate for the tools needed to conserve those lands and waters, which usually is, is funding, you know, being able to buy or protect land and water. Um, and so my involvement at the state level, going up to Tallahassee, talking with legislators, uh, working with other people in the conservation community, um, I started to, to find that platform. So back in 2018, there was a, a candidate, a woman who was running against an incumbent in a state Senate race who had to drop out um, about this time back in 2018 in, in mid-July due to some, some family medical issues. And the, the Democratic Party was looking for someone to step in in, in her place. Um, I like to joke that I think they filled up like a whole sheet of manila paper with all the people that they talked to first who said, three months, you're crazy. I'm not going to do this. Um, I got a call on a Friday night and Monday morning, paperwork was being driven up to Tallahassee and I was fully in the race and had a hundred days before election day. So and it was a it was a crazy ride. And with a hundred dates, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. Be 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the Spotlight. And we're back with the Spotlight with Lindsey Cross. Lindsey, how did you get President Obama's endorsement? Oh, wow. (laughs) I, t- I told them I was friends with you. <laughs> well, I know. So. <laughs> no, I don't know if he remembers me, but I know him. <laughs> yeah. So I did not have the chance to, to personally meet President Obama, unfortunately. I would love to. I have met um, now President Biden while I was campaigning in 2018. But, but 2018 was a really important year. We had just come off of the, the 2016 election, and I think people were still um, surprised that that had happened in our country. And seeing the effects of, of the Trump presidency, I think it inspired a lot of people who would not normally run for office to, to take that step. And we saw more women who were running. We saw um, people who were concerned about, really about core issues in their community, whether it was safety or gun violence, step up in a way that we had not seen before. Um, so we were, were looking to have a really strong showing from, from Democrats that year. And President Obama did what, what he could to, to help a lot of us in our campaigns and endorsements from people like him certainly um, helped to, to get your name out and to attract people to your platform and your message. Oh, wow. I met Obama when he was a senator in the middle of the sub-Saharan chat. And oh. he visited. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that that time he was Senator Obama. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, he went out there to a uh, to a visit when I to the embassy when I was working there. He's okay. an incredible guy. Well, yeah, he is. Well, Lindsay, how how will you characterize the politics in Florida? 
Florida is just such an interesting state. Um, the term Florida man is one that we we both love and hate in Florida because, you know, with, with around 22 million people, we've got something and someone for everyone. Um, so there is a lot of diversity in our state in terms of life experiences and viewpoints. Florida is, is still a, a purple state. Um, we were a little bit redder in the last election, but Pinellas County, where I live, which is on the Gulf Coast, um, is certainly uh, a purple slash blue state. Uh, we went blue for, for Biden in 2020, but just narrowly. So what we're seeing is that the way district lines are drawn throughout our state, whether it's for um, the state house, which is a seat that I'm running for, or whether it's for congressional seats, the way district lines are drawn can make a big difference. Because if you've got roughly 50% of the population on each side of the ticket, but you draw the lines differently, it gives you a different picture. And you can have unequal representation up in, whether it's in Tallahassee or up in DC, that's not necessarily reflecting the, the views and the needs of the community as a whole. Oh, wow. So you think the challenges will be if, if they, as you mentioned, they draw the lines differently is basically whoever draws that line most likely have the advantage. But you think that the challenge will be just mobilize more people to kind of equalize that that line drawing? Well, or? well first, so there's there's efforts to make sure that there's more parity, that there's fair districts that are drawn. Um, this happens as a result of the census when we have You know, we know that Florida gained population, places like New York lost population. So we need to know where the people are living so that we can have the correct representation. So there, there's lots of groups that are going to be looking at that redistricting process and making sure that, um, that the lines are being drawn in fair and equitable ways. Um, another thing that needs to happen is just being able to make voting more accessible for people. Mm -hmm. um, in, in some places, voter registration is automatic. So if you go to get your driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote and you have to opt out. In Florida, we do it differently. And so things like that that don't seem like that big of a deal um, can be just one extra barrier for someone being able to, to get out and vote. Um, we had an extremely safe and successful election in 2020. And our governor uh, DeSantis even, you know, touted what a well-run election it was, but yet we saw all of these bills in Correct. this last legislative <laughs> session that were making it more difficult to vote and trying to um, make it illegal for someone to give someone standing in line a bottle of water. You know, it can still be hot, you know, in the, in the primaries in August, it's really hot in Florida. Um, you know, there was kind of this villainization of um, ballot boxes and mail-in ballots. And those are things, if you don't have um, reliable transportation or maybe people who are in assisted living homes, they don't have access to, to get to the polls on that day. And so having a mail-in ballot, you know, have it be a recurring thing takes away one of those other barriers. And so 
what's what's really disturbing to see is that we had a successful election, but there's all of these ways that we're trying to make it more difficult for people to vote. And that affects you whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, whatever your party affiliation. Concur. Go ahead, Harry. Well, you've told us you're running for office next year. So what is your platform? Yeah, so I'm running for the Florida State House in District 68, which encompasses portions of St. Petersburg and Pinellas Park and Pinellas County. Um, you can learn more on my website, lindsaycrossfl.com. Uh, but the top three issues on my platform are things that I'm passionate about and I think that are cross-cutting issues that affect all people in the district and across the state. They're protecting our environment, improving our education systems, and making sure that healthcare is more affordable and accessible for everyone. The top one I think is, is pretty self-explanatory because of my 20 years as an environmental scientist and a conservation advocate. Um, education is what helps lift all of us up, regardless of where we came from. Both of my parents were public school educators in Michigan. My mom was a, was a teacher and my dad was a principal. And so that was, that was the most important thing in our household was getting a good education, being responsible and you know taking those steps to create a better life and one that serves not only your individual needs, but serves your community. And we can't do that unless we have schools that, that work for everyone. And finally, um, as someone who also works in the health and wellness field, not only teaching yoga, but leading outdoor adventure travel for women, I see that it's important that, that we're looking at healthcare from an entire um, a holistic point of view that we're taking care of people's physical, mental, and emotional health, whether that's um, adequate substance abuse treatment, whether that's counseling and mental health services from a young age up to adulthood, um, being able to give people the tools and the access to, um, you know, to healthier foods and lifestyle choices, because I see in with a lot of our environmental problems are similar to our health issues that we're so focused on treating the illness and the symptoms that we're not addressing what the root causes are. So if someone's having a heart attack, you're going in and you're doing a bypass as the last, as the last resort because that person is gonna die without it. But we're not doing enough, I think, to prevent people from having some of those life-altering illnesses in the first place. The same thing is happening with our natural environment that we see blue-green algae and red tide that's impacting our coastlines. It is, you know, decimating some of our economies and our, our tourism areas. And a lot of the time legislators want to focus on the quick fix, the, the sexy technology, but what the real emphasis should be on is the prevention of keeping pollutants out of our water in the first place. So that, that is lindsaycrossfl.com. Lindsay with an A listeners. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, it, it, 
it's you know it's sometimes people don't realize but you know you you mentioned something about you know the the environment and everything but it's a place like florida where people do ecotourism you know go to the beach go to the lakes and go to all these places hike if all those places are not taking care you know you you, you create an economic environment and an economic impact to the to the state too so i think uh it goes hands to hand you know certainly so tell us how you will get the boat out, because that's one of the, we were talking earlier and you were mentioning how this uh, restrictions and I agree with you, you know, all of a sudden it's uh, the safest election ever in Florida, but, and we know how to do it. And all of a sudden they say, oh, but we need to do all these restrictions. <laughs> yeah. So how we get, how we get the boat out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or how we counter so, this. Yeah. So the, the race that I'm running in is in 2022. And so I have an advantage this time, instead of having 100 days to run a campaign, I've got a year and a half. So that gives me time to get out and, and talk to voters um, at their doors, at their community events, their places of worship, and tell them about why I'm running, but really take the time to understand what some of the most critical issues are to them. Um, you know. I know that people are concerned about our water quality and education and healthcare, but there's, there's so many other things. And when you're a legislator, you have to know a little bit about everything, or you need to know the organizations and have the relationships so you can get that information. Um, this morning, I was, I was touring a substance abuse facility because I know that, um, you know, we have a crisis with, with opioids, with, um, drug and alcohol addiction. And those are things that can be addressed in some ways at a policy level. Um, there's also funding concerns for pretty much everything that's important to us, um, has a, you know, a funding component to it. So one of the, really the, the only job of a legislator is to pass a budget each year. And so our budget reflects our choices and our priorities. What you care. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so knowing how we best allocate the limited amount of, of tax revenue and, um, you know, our taxpayer dollars, that's the role of a good legislator is to know what the community needs and how we should be splitting up, you know, that, that pie, if you will. Lindsay, uh, we had record number of voters in 2020. How do we mobilize these same voters to vote in 2022? How do we keep them interested? Well, I think working with voters and talking to voters is a year-round thing. If you're planning on just getting started a couple months before an election, um, you're you're not going to be as effective as you need to be. That's why... I'll be starting walking in neighborhoods and getting out early and having that, that face-to-face contact. Um, you know, we do so much of our life virtually on Zoom now, but there's really no substitute for talking with someone face-to-face, um, learning a little bit about their story and letting them know that they are seen and that they are heard. And I think when you build those type of relationships, People have more trust in their elected officials. They have more um, interest in the process themselves. And that's when you get people who are not only showing up to vote, but they're bringing their friends 
and their neighbors. Um, maybe they're getting involved in, in other ways to engage with their community, whether it's uh, working in their neighborhood association or, you know, simply making a few phone calls to their friends and talking about some of the issues and, and why they're voting for a particular candidate. Wow. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Join us every week for the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. The Ambassador is host Harry Thomas, and the Chief is host Alex Morales. Together, they bring you different views on today's challenges, from politics to education, security, defense, and the economy. The Ambassador and the Chief, along with their guest experts, outline new perspectives and lively discussions. Tune in to The Spotlight on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. What are the top environmental concerns in Florida, Lindsay? How much time do you have, Harry? (laughs) I got nothing but time for you, Lindsay. Nothing but time. It it always comes down to water. You know, without, without water, we don't survive as a species. Our economy collapses, um, and we're not doing enough to protect our water, either the quality of it or how much we have. Um, I think you you can see that already we've got horrific blue-green algae. We've got red tide. Red that's tide, bringing, yeah. Which, you know, if you've seen the, the fish that are washing up on our shores, um, along our seawalls, we're already seeing impacts early in the season of just years of, of neglect and not being serious enough about treating our pollution, making polluters pay, and having strong enough um, standards to make sure that all of our water is clean, that we can swim in it, that we can fish in it. Um, so fixing our water problem is top of mind. Um, that's where it all starts. Sea level rise for us and flooding impacts from climate change for us in Florida is particularly important. Florida's got a little over 1,300 miles of coastline in the entire state, and Pinellas County 
has close to 600. I think it's 588 miles of coastline. And so as our seas rise, we're going to see more impacts to our businesses, our infrastructure, our bridges, and our roads. And those are things that need to be addressed um, kind of in a two-prong approach. We need to look at how we're getting ourselves off of dirty fossil fuels and switching to more renewable sources of energy like solar. That's, that's how we start to reverse that situation. But then we also have places where we need to put resiliency measures in place, where we're looking at infrastructure that we need to protect. And so that's, um, that's something that we're gonna see that that's not gonna go away for us in Florida. Um, the, the tragic event in, in Surfside at the, the condominium, um, you know, we have so many, I think, vulnerable places within our state that if you have areas where we have rising sea levels, you've got salt water that's coming into our aquifer, um, the land is shifting, maybe buildings are not up to code and they're having impacts from, from storms or from, you know, from saltwater intrusion. I think that we need to be really vigilant in making sure that the places where people are living are safe and that if there's areas that are having repetitive flooding, that we look at how best to, to put people our natural environment and our built environment, how we can work in harmony um, better. So those are a couple of the things that um, I'm really concerned about and want to work on in Tallahassee. Actually, I'm going to tell you my side. I think I agree with you about water as a national security official um, most of my time. I believe water is going to be the next uh, big thing in national security. Just saying, I think it's yeah. one of those things that it might be become a, a, a very big national security issue. It already is. The North Pole mm-hmm. is melting. The Russians are sending trailers over the, the North Pole. Um, what's it going to do to trade in Southeast Asia? It's a huge. Correct. Uh, so, um, believe it or not, our previous administration did not even want you talking about the environment mm-hmm. or climate change. Prohibited to even have a discussion, which I thought was crazy. But uh, let's move on, Alex. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what is unique about your district that you live and running in? Well, District 68 in, in Pinellas County, uh, portions of St. Pete and Pinellas Park, I think the just the sheer amount of, of coastal Um, communities is something that is important and and unique about the area. Um, It's bordered on the the East Coast by Tampa Bay, which is one of our most incredible resources um, as a region and as a state. Uh, We know that having good water quality in Tampa Bay is not just something that's nice to look at, but it's actually an economic driver. And that 20% of the jobs in the Tampa Bay region are dependent on having a clean and healthy Tampa Bay, that environment. Um, these are the same community members that are having issues with flooding and not just when we're having a tropical storm, but on you know some high tides during the spring, um, during things called king tides. So that community has different challenges than some of the more inland communities where we have um, 
you know, more modest homes. So I think that there's just a diversity of, of income levels and, um, you know, housing situations. Of course, affordable housing is something that is, you know, touching all of us. We see that the price of homes is rising exponentially. (laughs) I'm I'm refinancing my home and I can't believe what, you know, what it's appraising for. And with my salary working at a nonprofit, there's, there's no way I could afford this home right now. And in, in Pinellas County, we're, we don't have a lot of room to grow because we're the, the most densely populated county in the state. So our development is, ha- is going to have to go up if it's going to go anywhere, which if we look at how to build in ways that are more sustainable, where you're using less energy and water and making communities more livable, uh, then we need to have places where we have a little bit of, of density. And so um, I think that's that's something that that's unique about this district in, in Pinellas County. Well, that's fantastic. Before I ask the next question, can you explain what King Tide is? So King Tide is a phenomenon that happens um, when kind of the there's spring high tides and then the moon has to be in a certain position, a full moon. And so there's increased gravitational pull from the moon on the tides. And so you get um, kind of this super, super high tide, they call it a king tide. Um, It can be a really useful educational tool because it shows us what a normal high tide or a normal mean tide could look like in a few decades in the future. So a place where you may have a couple feet between the top of the seawall and the water on a king tide, that water may be topping the seawall. And so why that may just be for a day, that can show you what our future sea levels are gonna look like. That really ties into our next question. Thank you, Lindsay, which is, why should we elect more scientists, environmentalists in the political office? (laughs) Well, I think some of the, the biggest problems that we're we're trying to solve right now require a scientific mind and respect of data and the scientific process. And there's really a lack of representation in Tallahassee in particular from people who have a background in science. Um, We know that it's important when you're looking at women's issues or you're trying to elect more Uh, people of color, that representation matters because people bring their lived experiences and their knowledge. Well, if we're looking at how to to clean up our water and fight our climate crisis, um, continuing to get out of this COVID-19 pandemic, we need people who understand what science is and are committed to using them in making decisions that, that will best support our communities. That's a great, a great answer, because uh, we're seeing that this is a very serious issue for us. Um, but, you know, what we've seen is we know that climate change is happening. We know water is a major issue, but people who speak out about it are painted uh, negatively. Is that because of out of fear or ignorance or both? I think we whether it's our individual habits or 
how we are as a society, we resist change as a, as a species. And I think we've gotten used to, to certain ways of living and we are certainly adaptable and we're innovative, but we don't always do it <laughs> proactively. So I think that the, the type of lifestyles that, that we're leading, I think that we can continue to have a really high quality of life and actually support more people in our community if we're investing in green infrastructure and having a healthier environment, but it does take a shift. Um, and there's also a lot of influence from, from corporations, from special interests, from the fossil fuel industry. And it's, you know, if you look at the campaign contributions of a lot of politicians, it makes sense why they vote certain ways on things. Um, I've been up in Tallahassee when there was a bill to try and put a pretty nominal tax on, on bottled water because we have, you know, multinational companies that are taking our spring water basically for free. And now we're having places where our springs are drying up and our water management districts are thinking about piping water from a river to recharge our springs. But something simple like adding a couple cent tax to a gallon of, of water from our collective resource, when you have a bill like that, which gets, gets shut down where they just pull it from the agenda, and then you notice that the bottled water industry, that their, their lobbyists have been up in Tallahassee, you know, it's, there's no question about why that happened. And so to, to fight those powers and do the things that the voters and the people want is really challenging. You know, you brought up a good point because I'm always question again i'm a retired military guy and we never question if we got money to go to war right <laughs> it, serious it, it, we've been to war for 20 years or whatever we never say well sorry we need to stop because uh we don't have money to go to war you know but yet when we try to give up you know either environment or health education uh it's all of a sudden well how are we going to pay this <laughs> and I don't never understand that. What do you think about that? I understand. Well, I'll say again, our budget reflects our priorities. Um, we want our communities to be safe. Uh, we need to protect ourselves as a nation. But there's a lot of other things that impact us on a day-to-day -day basis that require more investments and, and a commitment from our elected officials. How can, how can we as the normal citizen to care enough to make our elected official to care? If it, if it makes sense, my question, how can we mobilize and make it sure like, hey, listen, this is serious. You know, having a nice water or, you know, drinkable water is important and you might not have it <laughs> if we continue this trend. Yeah. I think sometimes situations have to get really bad before they get better. Okay. And, um, And that's unfortunate. The, the way we started to turn around the health of Tampa Bay is when it got so bad that it was part of a 60-minute special. Oh, wow. Didn't the, know that. You know, one of, the, one of the most polluted water bodies in the country. And so that type of, like, when you're on the brink of complete collapse, then finally 
there's more attention and a commitment to change. And so I hope that we don't have to to go down that similar path with all of our problems. Um, but, you know, you when you have things like red tide blooms and blue-green algae that's, you know, toxic to wildlife and it's harmful to people, you have to use that as a way to lift up the, the need for better protecting our water and our natural environment. And when people get out and experience things like that personally, when their beaches are closed because it's polluted or, you know, their neighbor's pet has died because it swam in um, polluted water, then people start paying attention. They, they go to community meetings and they elect better people. Alex and I would vote for you, but we don't live in St. Pete. So <laughs> what is your message to the voters, to the, the, the registered and non-registered voters in St. Pete? Well, you too. I'm sorry that you're not in my district. You can still support me <laughs> by going to my website, lindsaycrossfl.com, making a donation if you're able, um, helping with efforts, making calls when we get closer to the election period. Um, but I'm doing this because I care deeply about this state and this community. I know that I have the experience to help solve some of our longstanding and really challenging environmental concerns. I care about people and I want to be their voice in Tallahassee. And if they trust me, I will do a, a phenomenal job for them. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. Gracias por todo. We <laughs> hope that you... Igualmente. We hope that you will be able to come back to our our show as an elected official. official. And please, people, as Lindsay said, uh, vote for her. But also you have the opportunity to make a donation through lindsaycrossfl.com. Alex. And thank you so much, Lindsay. It was a pleasure. Hope uh, I wish you luck and be the change that we need in this uh, uh, in Florida. And again, thank you very much. It was the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.